On Friday morning, November 16th, 2018, six people got on an elevator on the 95th floor of the John Hancock building. The doors shut and the elevator started to descend and then somewhere above them, two cables snapped and the car started to fall. The passengers remember hearing a loud clacking sound and debris falling in through the ceiling and they believed they were going to die. They fell 84 stories until one of the safety mechanisms slowed and stopped them between the 10th and 11th floors. And then they waited as firefighters broke a hole in the cement wall of the shaft to let them out. It took three hours. I think about those passengers sometimes, hopefully not when I need to visit a tall building. But I wonder if they've ever been able to ride an elevator again, because in many ways, our elevator riding is all predicated on a kind of willful ignorance of what's really happening. Like that we get into this tiny box and let cables and pulleys hoist us up hundreds of feet into the air with nothing below us. It's at least based on comforting illusion. Elevators are mostly these opaque little containers that let us pretend that we're, we're in a room just like any other room. And even the ones that dare to have glass sides don't usually have glass floors. Once that illusion is shattered and shattered so terrifyingly, could you possibly ever trust it again? Could you ever go back to believing that that floor of the box was solid ground? I actually think maybe so. When I was 12, I got into a crowded elevator in a New York City hotel, which instead of going up the way it was supposed to, fell several feet and got stuck there. It was much less dramatic than the John Hancock thing. We had gotten in on the basement, so there wasn't that far to fall. But still, we were stuck in there for an hour. Things got pretty tense. One person had to be treated for shock after the firefighters pulled us out. And I'm sure I thought about it for a while after that, certainly as I continued to use that same elevator the rest of the week. Or when our choir, I was on a choir trip, went to the Empire State Building later but it didn't take that long to forget, to renew that illusion, to go back to normal. And now, unless I hear a story like that one from 2018, I get on an elevator without another thought. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same way for them. So we finally reached the exciting conclusion of Ezra and Nehemiah or actually just chapter eight of a 13 chapter book. But if you wanted the whole story, you should come to Bible study, okay? This is like the climactic chapter of the second book, as much as it's climactic. Just before what we read, all the people gather to celebrate what they've rebuilt with one another. The temple, the town walls, their holy city, Jerusalem, it has been restored. And they mark the occasion by reading a scroll of God's law, which they've rediscovered in the process for like six hours, all while standing. It sounds like a real party. They all recommit themselves there to the God who has brought them out of exile and allowed them to rebuild their lives, return to something like normal. 
And then they do this very strange thing that Rebecca read to us. They build little huts out of branches and they camp out for a week outside around the temple, next to those city gates on the roofs of their homes. We get to the end of two books that are basically all about masonry, like building strong stone walls, all about making secure and lasting structures. And when it's all finished, the people go outside and camp out. It's not totally their idea. They find it in this scroll that they uncover in the temple ruins. And they know about this holiday, this festival of the tabernacles. They've been celebrating it, but somewhere along the line, they lost kind of a big part of the tradition, this part about living outside in temporary homes all week. And I don't think it's any coincidence in the story that it's in this moment when they finally built something permanent, or at least with the illusion of permanence, when they can finally start to forget the images of the walls of their city on fire and their most sacred spots in ruins. This moment when they can finally begin to return to normal. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the moment they choose instead to remember what it's like to live in something temporary. Why would they do that? I cannot wait to forget, to move on. Last week when Anne had the doors to the sanctuary open, I saw the looks of hope and then disappointment on many of your faces as you wondered, like, is this the day we're going back in? I can't wait for that day. When when cases are low enough that the questionable level of ventilation we can get in our sanctuary seems adequate, when our kids are able to be fully vaccinated so that we're not asking them to do something we didn't do as adults. I can't wait for the first day back when we'll be masked and distanced probably. But even more than that, I can't wait for the day when we're unmasked and sitting next to each other and not even thinking about it, singing out and hugging at the peace that day when things are truly back to normal. And, and I know some of you, a bunch of you, have never even experienced that normal. And I can't wait to share it with you. Or really, I can't wait to see what it's like when you're in there, when we're all in there together, this new, bigger congregation that we've somehow become over the last two years, I can't wait to feel what that feels like in this space. I can't wait to forget the hardship and fear of these years. I'm looking forward to a time when I can turn to Rebecca and say, we didn't really show up three hours before worship every week to set up, like for months on end, right? Don't worry, we're down to two and a half. <laughs> we really shaved some time off. And, and not just here, though. Like, I, I can't wait to plan a family holiday that doesn't require me to know anything about my loved one's healthcare decisions. I am looking forward to a year when I am back to knowing nothing about the HR policies at my sister-in-law's office, like where the question doesn't even cross my mind. I can't wait to just have my friends over to our house or go over to theirs. I'm looking forward to the day when I run out of firewood and then lose our fire pit and we never replace it. 
I will not for one moment think on a January night, I wish this event were held outside. I will be so happy to forget it all. Not the Israelites. After 70 years of exile, 70 years without a permanent address, 70 years away from home when they can finally close the gates of their city and the doors of their homes, close themselves off in little boxes and get back to that illusion that walls do not just come tumbling down. When they finally have walls solid enough to believe it again, they build these hasty booths that they could push over if they wanted to, that they will push over in eight days. Booths that don't even keep out the rain, let alone help them forget what they've been through. It's like they finally get to that Sunday when they could be in the sanctuary all together with masks off and hugging, and instead they decide to do one more service with all of us on Zoom recording the music ahead of time, preaching into a little dot on the front of our laptop, starting to talk before you realizing you're on mute over and over and over again. Why would they do that? Because there's something about that time they don't want to forget. There's something that they learned there, something they found when they lost everything else when their illusions were shattered, when their lives came crashing down, that was when they finally found themselves standing on solid ground. Something beneath everything they had been depending on. This living in temporary housing is a reminder of something they figured out in those years of exile, but, but also in earlier moments of instability. It really calls back to the exodus, when they were enslaved and their God heard their cries and set them free, when they left with hardly anything and nearly starved in the wilderness and wandered for decades, and that God brought them through it all. When they had nothing but that God and it turned out to be enough. Ever since then, they've been trying to remember, trying not to lose sight of what they found out there in the desert, that even the things that seem most powerful and permanent, even Pharaoh's army is not as solid as it seems. And later when their defenses crumble and they're sent off to Babylon, they remember again that beneath it all, beneath all the walls and the temples and the empires, there is something that is really, truly strong, really, truly trustworthy, dependable, bedrock, a God of love who will not give way. Which I guess does seem worth remembering. That unyielding love beneath it all. I am fine losing my fire pit. But I hope I remember how cold my friends were willing to be to spend time with me. I'm happy that it seems like in our family at least, this year for the holidays, people are feeling comfortable getting worked up about all the petty inconveniences that usually irritate people during the holidays. Not in your families? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> now I feel like I overshared. Uh, <laughs> like if we're getting bent out of shape uh, about having turkey again on Saturday, then things have gotten a lot better in the last year. 
But I hope I don't forget last year, a couple days before Christmas when Rochelle's parents called when they were already halfway here because they knew otherwise we would say no. And they said they would just drop Nola's presents off outside and we wouldn't even hug because a dozen teachers at my mother-in-law's school had been out with COVID the week before. But even so, we brought them into the narthex, all the doors open, and my mother-in-law bundled in several of those blankets. And they got to watch their granddaughter open her presents. We all worked so hard and took such risks for that half-hour visit. I'm anxious for the day when we no longer need to worship in a space that is somehow both too hot and too cold. Where there's paint peeling and dust on the floor from the roof we've just spent $75,000 to replace. A space where it can be hard to hear the person speaking, but easy to hear any movement any child makes. It's so far from the ideal of beautiful, warm, sacred space. But once we're back in that sanctuary, maybe we should come over here for a week every year to remind ourselves what we've learned in this time. When our illusions of safety and separation have been shattered, when the things that we thought we could depend on in our lives came crashing down, when we were in free fall and the God of love slowed us down and planted our feet back on solid, holy ground. That's what it's felt like to me many times these last two years. When God showed up for us, even in this imperfect place, and in every imperfect place we sought God out, when we showed up for one another and worked so hard and took such risks out of love for each other, to try to be solid for one another. I'm so thankful. I hope I never forget 